Well, we don't want dead air at the beginning of the recording either, so people turn it off before we actually start. So, so. Well, good morning. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. We'll go ahead and get started, and uh, we're going to be finishing up 1 Corinthians chapter 6 this morning, and uh, today is Sunday, February 13th, 2022, and uh, I'm, I always say this, I'm difficult with titles, so I put down, read me my rights, so um, we'll start in verse 12, I'll give you just a second to get there, and but uh, we see 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 is where, where we will be starting. And we'll just read through the end of the chapter. He says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything, you say. Food for the stomach, the stomach for food. And God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and, and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Lord, I thank you for this passage today, and I pray that you would help us to understand it. Um, Lord, to see what it is that, that you intend for us to learn from it, and that we are obedient in, in this as well. And Father, I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So he says in a number of occasions... Uh, in 1 Corinthians, he says this in another, uh, later on in this, in this book as well. He says, I have the right to do anything. And he repeats it again in this same verse. Um, when, when he uses this phrase, he's, he's actually quoting a slogan uh, that had been established to justify immorality in the lives of the people in Corinth. Um, and it would be like uh, one of us today saying, well, don't I have free will? You know, we talk about free will openly in our churches today, and the, the, the answer to that statement is, yes, you do have free will, but that doesn't mean to, that you're free to do whatever your will is, uh, because, you know, uh, Christ gives us instructions on how we're supposed to live our lives. And so the people in Corinth are saying, um, I have the right to do anything, and Paul replies by saying, not everything is beneficial. And so what is, what is meant by that? Um, is that freedom <clears throat> that was not beneficial but detrimental to someone else was not loving and it was to be avoided. So the freedom that we have, we have the freedom to talk and to say and to do th all different kinds of things, but if it doesn't benefit those who hear and those who experience and those who, um, who are being receptive to whatever it is that you're doing, 
that is to be avoided. So if we go to 1 Corinthians 10, this is where he repeats this type of a statement. And he is refuting um, what the people of Corinth are saying about that particular slogan. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23 and 24, very similarly, I have the right to do anything. That's in quotes if you look in your Bible there. You say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but the good of others. And so the struggle, <coughs> that part of the struggle that's going on in Corinth at this point in time is in the next chapter, he says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy them both. What he's saying is, my body's going to be disposed of anyway, so why don't I just use it for whatever I can and get what I can out of it? Because it's my spirit that's going to be saved, not my body. And Paul's making the proclamation that your body and spirit are, as, are all part of what's going to happen in the future when Jesus Christ comes back. The body is going to be resurrected. And so he's saying that your body and your spirit are one, and Jesus also describes the body and the spirit as being one with him. So don't abuse it. And this is, this is something that's a little bit difficult for them to understand, but Paul is making it very clear. Um, food for the stomach and the stomach for food is another slogan uh, by which the Corinthians sought to justify their immorality. And they reasoned that food, like what he is talking about, like sexual immorality, he's saying food is both necessary and pleasurable. Okay, we have to eat. We're going to eat. It's necessary for us to survive. So why not make it, you know, pleasurable and that kind of thing? There's, they were arguing that sexuality was pleasurable and necessary as well. And when their bodies signaled sexual desire, that they needed to be satisfied. And so it was easy for them to relate those two together and put them together. So Paul draws a sharp line between the stomach and the body and he says the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body, if we're in verse 13. Um, and he's describing, if we look at Romans 12, 1, he tells, he tells the Romans um, to offer your spirit. He says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. Therefore, um, sorry, I'm on the wrong, wrong chapter. If somebody's there, you can go ahead and read it. But he says, therefore, since... Uh, thank you. <laughs> therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, uh, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And this is your true and proper worship. So the reflection of the things that we do should reflect our worship for the Lord and not worship of self. And so Paul is trying to make that that clear distinction um, in this particular passage. And so in verse 14 uh, of 1 Corinthians 6, he says, By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Um, first of all, I want to acknowledge that he calls Jesus Lord in this text. Um, and secondly, he, is, he speaks about the rapture in this particular uh, in this particular verse, and and when he brings this into into context, the body in this context is meant for more than just a physical frame. It's referred to the whole person, 
compo uh, composed of flesh and of spirit. So it's composed of the material part of our, of our lives, and it's also composed of the immaterial parts of our lives. So I've got, you're getting ready to say something? Okay. Exactly, and that's that I've got some passages on that as well. We're going to get to that part too, um, but I've got several passages. You can keep your finger in Romans because we'll be in there uh, a few times this morning. But Romans chapter six, <clears throat> and we'll start and we'll read in verses five through fourteen. He says, "For if we." have been unified with him in death like his, we will certainly also be unified with him in a resurrection like his. Was Jesus' resurrection bodily? Absolutely it was. So Paul says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Hallelujah for that. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought, bought, excuse me, brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an in instrument of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. If you turn just a page, maybe a page in your Bible or two, to chapter 7 of Romans, in verses 21 through 25, um, there's a lot of really good stuff in this chapter, but for the sake of time, I'm just going to take off in, in, chapter, in verse 21. He says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my innermost being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature, am a slave to the law of sin. And so there's constantly that war, that battle that's going on within us, in our minds, to, to obey God's law and, and the things that we found pleasure in in the past, in our old life, are constantly there going, hey, don't you want to come back? This was a lot of fun. Don't you remember what it was like? And so this is the battle that's going on between uh, our spirit, the Holy Spirit, and, and the spirit of evil um, that's taking place in there. So if we look at Colossians 3, he gives us specific instructions uh, on what to do, what we should be doing. We're going to look at verses 5 through 10. 
He says, put to death. Your, your translation may say mortify, but it's put to death. Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. In verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Verse 10, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. And so I have underlined just the little word is and, and we were talking about this uh, Thursday night in men's Bible study. That word is there implies that it's a continuous and repeated action that goes on and on and on. So these are, these are things that we constantly have to continue to deal with in our lives that are going to attempt to, to come in and to cut in and, and, and destroy the testimony about Jesus Christ in our lives. And so there's... I've, I've, I've observed just over my later Christian years, the last few years, of how I've seen people have victory over certain things in their life, you know, that, that had been a struggle for a long period of time. And then all of a sudden the devil goes, hmm, that's not working anymore. Well, let's try this. And all of a sudden he, he finds, he's, he's constantly searching to find another way uh, to undercut the testimony about Jesus Christ. And as we come, become more like Christ, the harder it is, the harder it becomes to, to um, get rid of or, or fight against those things unless we're constantly in the Scripture. So my experience in the last few weeks is I've had several occasions. Um, I told you about this last Sunday, too, that I failed. And then all of a sudden, the next day, I opened my Bible, and, and, and I read, and I went, oh, it's right there in front of me. And, and in passages that I've read over and over again, all of a sudden, after I've failed in that area, it just become blatantly clear, you know. <laughs> okay, Lord, I need to change this. And so um, that's happened several times in the last few weeks in my life. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for those things because it's opened my eyes to what the Scripture is telling me. So if we look at Ephesians chapter 1, Back towards the front of your Bible, a couple of books. In verses 22 and 23, he says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So we talk about how each member in the church is a part of the body uh, as a whole, what, we, what we're doing, uh, as far as the people in Corinth are concerned, is they're taking the members of the, of the body and they're using them uh, against, against God in, you know, in, the, in the realm of the, the whole body, the church as well. And so I say that to say that when I get involved in sin, if I do something sinful in my life, does it impact everybody in the church in some way? Especially if it's a, a public sin, does it impact others? Of course it does. Yeah, he would break Abraham and probably wouldn't think what he was doing with Hagar was going 
Well, probably not. And and he's probably he's he's and, and I love that you brought that up because it, we've we've read in in previous chapters in First Corinthians and also in James where where we take worldly wisdom and we want to mix it with godly wisdom and go well this makes sense you know maybe we should do this and 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 did abraham learn his lesson you know yes he did but after that the consequences of his actions still continued on and and we still deal with that today so um that's that's a good point that uh, those kind of those kind of things happen so in the context of first corinthians 6 14 um the body is is meant for more than the the physical frame but we get down into it and he says that uh that it's not for meant for sexual immorality but for the union with the lord uh and and that union is reciprocal it goes both ways and what he's saying in verse 4 is is in 14 is the eternity of the body the future destiny of the individual was made certain by christ's resurrection so when Jesus Christ raised from the dead, it became certain that everyone who followed Jesus Christ was going to be raised from the dead as well. And so there is a certainty that, that my physical body, if I am truly a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, my physical body is going to raise, and today I should not be using it for immorality. I should be using it for the glorification of, of Jesus Christ and for the, the glorification of God the Father as well. So then in verse 15, he starts out again by saying, do you not know? Um, this is one of six times where he says, do you not know? So he's, he's telling them something that they've already heard before. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? So back in Romans again, we were in Romans 12. We're going to read verses 4 and 5. If you still are, had your finger in there. He's given a description of the body of believers as well. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. And so um, we, are, we are members of a body of believers, and we're also members of the body of Christ um, if somebody, can I have a volunteer to turn to Genesis 2 real quick while the rest of us look at verses 14 and 15 in 1 Corinthians? Okay. Yeah, and then uh, give me just a second and, and we'll have you read that. Uh, verses 22 through 24. So in, in verses 16 and 17 of 1 Corinthians 6, he says, Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So what does Genesis 2, 22 through 24 tell us? Twenty-two and twenty through twenty-four. Yep. The man said, "This is now, or this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. That is why the man leaves his father and his mother united to his wife, and they become one flesh." Right. So he says, um, "They become one flesh," and in First Corinthians. 
uh, 6.17, he says, whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So if we look at John 17, I've got, I'm going to give you, a, giving you a lot of scripture here right now. Um, Jesus gives a picture as he's praying in the garden of a little bit of the description that's given in Ephesians 5 pertaining to the marriage and family in a body of believers. So in John 17, 20 through 23, he says, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through uh, their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory uh, that you have given me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So there's a lot of churches that will read this particular passage and say, well, yeah, see, we should all be in unity um, and we should all be acceptant of each other in whatever their, uh, whatever their life may be like. But Jesus is describing here that the only way that unity can happen is if, there were, is if we're completely obedient to everything that he said. And so when Jesus is praying this prayer, at the beginning of his prayer, um, he says, I've done everything that you've told me to do. And so we read about some of the patriarchs of the Old Testament. Hebrews testifies that David did everything that he was told to do and then he died. Um, we read about Moses. Moses did exactly what the Lord wanted him to do. Um, we read about some of the prophets and, and they're described in this way. And that's what Paul is saying, that unity in the body of believers is not, okay, let's agree to disagree and all get along um, and tolerate each other. <clears throat> but what he is saying is that we all should be able to come together, look into the truth and say, if this is what the truth is, even though we're an imperfect people, we can come together in completeness, agreeing that this is true and walk into it and go, wow, okay, Lord, change me to be more like this. Change me to be more like Jesus Christ. And that's where, that's where unity really materializes. And so um, let's look at Galatians 2.20 real quickly. And this is probably a familiar passage to most of you. It says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And what Paul is describing in these particular passages in 1 Corinthians as well as these others that we've been reading is that there's a union that takes place in a believer when the conversion happens. So when we surrender to Jesus Christ, the union that takes place with Christ is a union that's even greater than the union of marriage. Uh, it's higher than the, than the marriage bond. And so the believer's spiritual union with Christ, which is perfect, it's the perfect model uh, for the kind of unity that should mark the marriage relationship. 
And so when we get into the next chapter, he's going to give some descriptors of how marriage is to be. Um, and also concerning divorce and those kinds of things, he's, giving, he's going to give very detailed and specific instructions that are going to take us back to the beginning when God instituted marriage. And then he's also going to uh, address the changes that have taken place because there's a lot of people that want to go to the Gospels concerning divorce and those kind of things. Where in Mark 10, Jesus said, you were given divorce by Moses because your hearts were hard. And, and there's an address there where Paul comes in in, in 1 Corinthians 7 and he gives a different pers- perspective that Jesus has given him. And we're going to look at that as well. Uh, but anyway, the perfect relationship of marriage described in Ephesians chapter 5 um, <clears throat> is it should replicate as much as possible. I, and I say that kind of loosely because I know those are terms that we we shouldn't be using as Christians. Um, we should, if we're fully in obedience, it will replicate exactly the picture of the, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ makes for the church. The husband and wife relationship should, should mirror that, uh, that picture of salvation. But in 1 Corinthians 6, um, just the last few verses here, um, <clears throat> 18 through 20, he says, Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So when he says flee from sexual immorality, this is again a continuous repeated action. Um, Something that is from person to person, you could say each person probably struggles with this on a different level. Uh, Probably if you ask 20 different people, you would have 20 different responses to to how great or how easy this, this struggle may be. So this advice is particularly needed in Corinth um, that it's mentioned almost in all of Paul's letters. Um, if you go through Paul's letters, um, I, there's a great majority. I think there's only a couple that you would find that it's not directly addressed uh, about uh, being sexually pure. And so in the Corinthian churches uh, or the Corinthian Christians uh, facing immorality, they should respond as Joseph did in Genesis 39 and flee. They should run. Um, they should drop whatever it is, everything you know that's going on, uh, and, and just get out. So all of their sins a person commits are outside the body. The original Greek text, um, the word other is not in there. There's no, um, there's no translation, but the word other uh, is in the is a translator's addition, and it's not represented by any word in the Greek text. So when we're looking at that, they add that to say all sin a person does is outside the body, but specifically sexual immorality is a sin against your own body because you are one in unity with the body of Jesus Christ. And so when you do that, you violate your own sin. According to 1 Corinthians 5, we, we studied a few weeks ago, that a person is in, that is in habitual 
immorality in this way, Paul instructs them that if they will not repent, to turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the physical body, to stop that sin from continuing to take place so that their soul is saved and then later uh, to be resurrected as well. So uh, the immorality that's taking place in Corinth is being described as the second highest sin that can be committed, second only to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, um, or, or you could say rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then in verse 19 is the, uh, the last also of the do you not knows. And so he says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? So among those that are grieved is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. So if we look at John chapter 2, John chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, this is a, a familiar passage because... It's, it's referred to uh, from this point until after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's, Jesus answered and says, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple and you are going to raise it in three days? I'm going to stop right there. Is that really their question? Not according to Matthew, not according to the Gospels. We know that. He's, they replied that, uh, verse 21, but the temple he had spoken of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. The Pharisees also knew this as well. You know, and like Jim said, according to Matthew, they knew that he was talking to, about his body, but they were trying to divert uh, away from the truth that Jesus was the son of God. And so if we look at it, Romans 14, and we're going to read verses 7 and 8. Romans 14, 7 and 8, he says, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Uh, I'm going to look at two more passages, Matthew 20. Matthew 20, verses 25 through 28. He says, Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So when we read in 1 Corinthians uh, 6.17, or 6, excuse me, 6.19 and 20, 
you were bought with a price. Honor God with your bodies. Jesus is saying right here, I'm buying you. I'm paying for you. I'm paying the penalty for sin so that we will go and do likewise. So I heard this past week, somebody used the, the offer of salvation like a person who takes and puts a $100 bill up here on the stand and says, you know what, the offer of salvation is like this. I put the $100 bill up here and all you have to do, there's one requirement, you have to come up and take it. And that's all there is to it. And I went, okay, then what? In my mind, I'm sitting here going, what's next? And, and, and they were saying, that's all there is to it. You take, the, you take the, the $100 bill and you take it and spend it how you want to. I'm going, no, wait a minute. Because the way I understand repentance is Jesus puts it up there and says it's a free gift. When you come to take it, okay, here's how I want you to spend it. You're going to spend it on me and you're going to spend it on others. And your life is a trade. You're exchanging your old life for the new life. You don't get to take this and use it how you want to. You don't get to take it and just walk away. You don't get to come up to the altar and say a sinner's prayer and walk back to your old life and go back to the life that you used to live. And so that picture of that exchange life is Jesus is saying, I worked really hard for this, and it's yours, but it has to, it, there has to be a return. And so when you go and you spend it and it's all gone, and you come back and you say, Lord, I did what you, what you, did, what you uh, told me to do. What happens then? There's another $100 bill up there. You know what that $100 bill represents? Anybody? Grace. Here's another $100. Go do it again. Do what I tell you to do with it. Spend it how I tell you to spend it. Then the next time you come back, here's more grace. You obeyed, here's more grace. You obey more grace and pretty soon it begins to multiply and it's not in any way am i talking about prosperity it's not the issue of the money it's the provision that's made to live the christ-like life and he says this the salvation is free it's a free gift but the exchange is as you live for me and i give you the grace to continue to live for me and then when the reward comes the reward is going to be in heaven when we stand face to face with each other and so and he's describing this to the, to the church of Corinth as well. And he's telling them, what you do in the body is going to determine your uh, following Christ. It's going to determine um, the grace that's given in exchange for relying on the truth and, and following the truth. And so when we read, if we go to Revelation chapter 5. Sure. Okay, and where is that? Okay, 2 Corinthians 9, 8. And read it for me one more time. Sorry. <laughs> okay, so the blessing that comes is always for the purpose of blessing other people and doing the work that God has called us to do. And, and I agree with that 100% completely true um revelation chapter 5 verses 6 through 10 wow i'm going to be done early today this is exciting <laughs> you guys have been quiet just real attentive um but anyway 
we'll, we'll read the f- a couple of verses into chapter 7 before we let you go. But um, chapter 5 of Revelation, verses 6 through 10, he says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had, the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and open it. And it it seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nations. And you made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. And so he's given the description here of the authority of Jesus Christ to open those seals uh, and to... um, the, the confirmation that the blood of Jesus Christ has paid for those and the bowls that they have with the prayers of the saints that are coming up. Uh, am I correct in saying during the tribulation it's the prayers of those people that are in those bowls? Well, this is a picture before the tribulation. Yeah, okay, you're right. Thank you. He's not, he's not ascended yet. So, okay. Yeah, Psalm 40. Right, right. Right, right. So in Psalm 40, verse 3, he says, He will put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, and many will see him and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. So is that a, would that be an accurate description of the praises and the, and the prayers that are going up? Yeah, so Aaron's first two sons, uh-huh. uh, we're going to make a religious picture out of incense. Oh, yeah, okay. Right. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you for helping me with that. Um, So I'm just going to read just a couple of verses into chapter 7, and then we'll let you guys go. Um, Yes? Um, Somebody might be confused about when we say grace. You know, God gives us grace, and so, you know, we can do whatever we want. And and you see this in the churches. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. 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 So we we cheapen grace, um, and and Jim has referred to a particular song that's out there that says there'll be days when you w- lose the battle. Grace says it doesn't matter. Well, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that you receive grace through obedience, and when especially when you suffer through obedience, um, when you take persecution for obeying Christ. 
grace is what allows you to continue on in, obe- in obedience. And so that's a, that's a good point because we want to look at Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and say, well, it's only by grace that we're saved. And we can't do anything to acquire it. And that is true. We can't do anything to acquire salvation. But when I say that I believe and I'm convinced of what Jesus says about my life, that I am a sinner and that I need to change and that he wants to change me, we say, okay, Lord, whatever you want, make it look like, make me look like you and make me not look like the guy I was yesterday so that people see Jesus and they don't see me. And so um, <clears throat> I've seen a number of people where that's been immediate, an immediate transition. I've seen a number of, pe- a number of people have said, I believe I need help. Help me to do this. And so there's maybe not an immediate change, but eventually over a, per- a period of time, there is a definite. And I like the way you said it, I don't know, last week it was. Um, it's hard for me to walk into, say, a store and walk through and have a conversation with somebody and go, well, I'm not sure if they're a Christian or not, but someone who really truly is following Christ, you usually don't need to talk to them more than about five minutes before you know that person is following Jesus. And so that's the kind of picture that God wants us to portray as we walk with him. You know, uh, he wants me to be so filled with love so filled with genuine concern that I I care enough about you that I want you to know the truth and I'm interested in where you are today and what you're doing and what's going on in your life. And I'm interested so that I can share the gospel with you. Were you going to say something? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) she's going, man, he's talking so fast. I don't know how he does. (laughs) Yeah. Uh huh. But they skip eight, nine, ten. ten. Yes. Right. 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 To say no to ungodly things. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and if you go into Titus, you said Titus 2.11, if you back up to verse 6, he says, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good in your teaching. Show integrity and seriousness and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing good or nothing bad to say about us. So that's something that, you know, that's a continuous repeated action as well. Uh, and, and it speaks specifically to me in my own life, you know. So um, I'm going to go ahead and stop right there. I thank you for your attention this morning, and we'll get into uh, some of the marriage instruction that Paul gives us in chapter 7 next week. All right? Thank you.